Welcome to a special episode of Talking Feds, a prosecutor's roundtable that brings together prominent former Department of Justice officials for a dynamic discussion of the most important legal topics of the day. And today we have maybe the most important legal topic of the year or the Trump presidency because we finally have the Mueller report in our hands and we finally have Bill Barr's account of exactly what he did with the Mueller report and we're going to talk about both. Now I'll say we've had the report for oh an entire half hour so these will be top line reactions and there will be more. This is Harry Littman, a former U.S. Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General. I'm joined by Amy Jeffress who you already know at Talking Feds, a partner at Arnold and Porter, the former DOJ attache to the U.S. Embassy and a longtime assistant U.S. attorney. And Paul Fishman, a partner at the law firm of Arnold and Porter, like Amy. Paul was the United States attorney for New Jersey from 2009 through 2017 and has also been a senior DOJ official for many years. And we're pleased to welcome to the program for the first time, Jennifer Rogers, a lecturer at Columbia Law School and the former Deputy Chief Appellate Attorney at the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. All right, let's skip the patter and dive right in. So today we had first at 9.30, before the report had issued, a remarkable press conference from the Attorney General who laid out the conclusions of the report, gave a very strong defense of the president in the president's language of no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, and then switched to obstruction and made it clear that special counsel Robert Mueller simply had not bottom-lined, and therefore he, Barr and Rod Rosenstein, who stood behind him for the entire press conference, had taken it upon themselves to say no obstruction because, Barr said, this is a binary decision, yes or no, and he said no. And then an hour later, we have the actual report, 400 pages, coming out in volume one about collusion or the Russian effort, volume two about obstruction, relatively fewer redactions than we expected. And the headline, at least on obstruction, was Mueller's exposition of 10 different possibly obstructive incidents by the president, some of them new, all of them ugly, but ultimately, according to Mueller, given the difficult legal and factual decisions, something he just couldn't bottom line on, and so he didn't. Not so he could leave it to Congress, but he just couldn't bottom line. Although, pointedly, he said, we're not saying that we're exculpating the president. If we thought that, we w- if we had confidence that he did not commit obstruction, we would so state and we are unable to reach that judgment. Okay, so that's where things stand. Excuse my long intro, and we now want to, let's start with some bottom line uh, conclusions. And why don't I stumble ahead and just say, I think this is a really sort of unsettling and disappointing day in which nobody comes out looking well. 
Uh, the attorney general seemed to be shilling for the president in his press conference, and he did it, obviously, to precondition the report itself. Rod Rosenstein seemed mute behind the attorney general, lending his own credibility to some of the conclusions and the whole presentation. Even Bob Mueller comes off, in my view, as anomalous or puzzling for not reaching a bottom line decision. And obviously, the president himself is dirtied up with some new um, uh, incidents of really ugly behavior, even if Mueller says it doesn't reach uh, obstruction itself. So I think this is a really rough day and the biggest day of the probe where we could have hoped for some real closure in satisfying ways, I think leaves me at least um, very troubled. Anyone else have top line thoughts to offer? Well, Harry, let me, res- Paul, let me, let me respond to the, the, uh, the notion you have about, about what Bob Mueller didn't, didn't do with the obstruction stuff. Um, you know, the, there, there is a widespread discussion always in the justice system that, that, that people are supposed to be treated the same. And the truth is the elements of obstruction of justice are the same for the president of the United States as they are for a bank teller or for an auto mechanic or for the CEO of a corporation. Uh, the elements of the crime are the same. And you have to do something with a corrupt intent with the intent to impede an investigation. And, and the standard of proof is the same for everybody. It's always beyond a reasonable doubt, the highest standard of proof in our justice system, but the, the standard of proof that we use in every criminal case. But the truth is that it, it is an old saying, if you're going to shoot the king, you have to kill the king. And I think there is a sense among lots of prosecutors and probably among the people at the top of the Justice Department today that if you're going to bring a criminal case on obstruction of justice against the president of the United States, it better be a great case. It better be a case that looks a little bit like a laydown hand. And I think what Bob Mueller was saying in the report is this is not that. There is a lot of evidence about what the president of the United States intended to do here. I mean, I don't have any doubt looking at the excerpts of the Mueller report that I've had, you know, five minutes to look at, that that the and, and that we've all been looking at for a year, for a year or two, that the things that the president did, the attempt to squelch the Flynn investigation with Jim Comey the day after he found the White House found out that Michael Flynn had lied to the FBI, the the repeated efforts to get rid of Jeff Sessions, the idea that people would not necessarily tell the truth, his willingness to let people he were in his circle not tell the truth, like Michael Cohen. All that stuff suggests to me that the president knew exactly what he was doing. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a very hard case to make obstruction of justice. It's just, in the end, about somebody's intent. It's not like he was standing in a bank with a gun, right? He's, it, he took a lot of actions that, in, you know, that isolated by themselves, don't necessarily look like that. And so I think what Bob Mueller was saying in the end is, I don't think I could stand before a jury and convince 12 people, 12 Americans, that what the president did here, he did with corrupt intent beyond a reasonable doubt. Under those circumstances, the department can't bring a case. 
But that doesn't mean that the president didn't commit the crime. It just means that Bob Mueller didn't, wasn't satisfied that he could prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. All right. Well, fair enough. But doesn't that look, that raises two questions, it seems to me, uh, Amy and Jennifer. One is, all right, why isn't Barr right that this is binary? If you conclude you can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, you have principles of federal prosecution, why doesn't that mean you say no? Why do you continue to straddle? And then second, what about this decision that people will be debating now for uh, years uh, to not try to get uh, Trump's testimony? I think that Barr is right in a sense that it's binary. Prosecutors make decisions. You have to decide whether you're prosecuting or whether you're not prosecuting. So that's true as far as it goes. You know, the problem is here, we're not only talking about using what the Mueller team uncovered in criminal court. It's also going to now be used by Congress to decide to do whatever it is that they're going to do, whether it's impeachment proceedings or just using some of that information as launching points to continue their hearings and so on for oversight purposes. So, you know, there's a lot of room between nothing was done improperly or nothing wrong was done here and proof beyond a reasonable doubt, as Paul was saying. So, you know, I think people are going to find a lot in the report to point to to say the president and the people around him did not act appropriately here. They did a lot of things that were wrong and improper and unethical and potentially illegal. But, you know, Barr's right. You have to make a decision about prosecution one way or the other. So that decision is made. And then, you know, you shift over to using the information uncovered in the investigation for these other purposes. And I do think that Barr was misleading about some of those things. I mean, you know, he was asked point blank whether Mueller left this decision to Congress. And he said, no, he didn't do that. And and the report basically has Mueller talking about, you know, some of this information can be used by Congress for their purposes. So I think, you know, Barr in his zeal to give the president the talking points that the president wanted has glossed over what Mueller actually did. And, you know, look, we can all read it for ourselves. The problem is the vast majority of the public is not going to take the time to do that. They're just looking for the the sound bites that they got from Barr this morning. Let me, I think that there is a, a implicit referral to Congress of some of these issues in the report. And I just want to read a line that is in the uh, summary section of the obstruction of justice uh, section of the report that says, and it's in the paragraph on constitutional defenses that are raised by the uh, fact that the president is the head of the executive branch. Uh, And the report says, with respect to whether the president can be found to have obstructed justice by exercising his powers under Article 2 of the Constitution, we concluded that Congress has authority to prohibit a president's corrupt use of his authority in order to protect the integrity of the administration of justice. So when I heard that uh, the Mueller that Mueller had declined to reach a conclusion on obstruction of justice, that's the kind of line that I was expecting in the report. That in fact the uh, the special counsel decided that this was really a matter for Congress and not the executive branch. Now Attorney General Barr took that in a different direction, but I think the report is basically suggesting that these issues are for Congress uh, to act upon uh, rather than the executive branch. And so it is up to Congress now to do so. Yeah, or at least it's it's leaving it open. Actually, that line I found really reassuring. My biggest concern was that Barr was going to announce that he had done this based on his 
I think, kooky view that um, uh, that he's gone back and forth on that when you exercise enumerated powers, you can't be obstructing. And so they refer to OLC uh, these questions and said that that's not right. And Barr specifically said at the presser that he hadn't based uh, the decision to to, um, to to say no obstruction on that. But of course, Mueller had made it easy for him by being perfect in perfect equipoise. You know, if he, if you then apply that the binary principle to that, um, you you get no prosecution. I guess I'm not sure what people would have liked to see from Bob Mueller. Bob Mueller clearly didn't think he had a prosecutable case here in the end. Right. So that's effectively what he has said. He, and and he, I mean, he points out all the difficulties. And if he was going to recommend that the president of the United States be prosecuted, I think he would have said that. What 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 this doesn't say is that he doesn't recommend that he, that he not be prosecuted. I think this report is simply written um, not really for Bill Barr. It's really written for Congress and for the public, which is sort of an extraordinary thing for a guy like Bob Mueller. Right. Because that's not the way his whole career has been oriented. And I think he recognized here the enormous implications of what his final report would mean. Right. Let me let me read just a better line that goes right to your point, Paul. The conclusion that Congress may apply the obstruction laws to the president's corrupt exercise of the powers of office accords with our constitutional system of checks and balances and the principle that no person is above the law. I mean, basically what they're saying is there are a lot of issues that we haven't uh, sorted through. And, and that's a little bit odd that, you know, the evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent presents difficult issues that would need to be resolved if we were making a traditional prosecutorial judgment. So they didn't resolve the issues, but they they also recognize that they're not really making a traditional prosecutorial judgment because this is the president. I think this is an invitation for Congress to take all of the information that they have collected and have hearings and debate and do what Congress should do in this kind of, uh, you know, just unbelievably troubling situation. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me that it's implicit with with ter- turning it over to Congress. And there was a subtext to the press conference. I think we have a little bit of audio on this where um, Barr was trying to say uh, th- there's one view of this report that it's basically for the public and Congress now. And Barr was insistent under the regulations and sort of pugilistic that this is his report. And he was uh, by his own. Uh, you know, Grace giving up some information. There's a lot of public interest in the absence of the special counsel and members of his team. Was he invited to join you up on the podium? Why is he not here? This is his report, obviously, that you're talking about today. No sign. The report he did for me as the attorney general, he is required under the regulation to, pr- to provide me with a confidential report. I'm here to discuss my response to that report and my decision, entirely discretionary to make it public, since these reports are not supposed to be made public. That's what I'm here to discuss. So I think technically that's true, but that's not really the point. Right. I mean, technically, the, the regulation does say it's a report to the attorney general, but it's hard to imagine that in cases in which the appointment of a special counsel is warranted under the regulations, that that 99 percent of those cases uh, will involve case, uh, in investigations of such huge public interest that the attorney general ultimately will have very little discretion about whether to make it public or not. And that's exactly what happened here but 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 because it's a report that if but if Bill Barr is right 
that it is a report for him. That sort of makes Bob Mueller's statements even more stunning. Because Bob, but why would Bob Mueller say to Bill Barr, you know, this is really a matter for Congress. It's not really a matter for us. Um, if he didn't think that report was going somewhere else. If this is really, I think, an invitation by Bob Mueller to say, look, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, criminal court, 12 jurors, unanimous, that's really hard. But really, this is of such importance. And the president's intent, his corrupt intent, of such, of such significance that maybe somebody else will want to take a look about it. The Congress doesn't need Bob Mueller to tell them what their power and their rights are to, to investigate this. But Bob Mueller said it anyway. That, to me, is like a big hint and a big suggestion of what he thinks. There, there were among these ten episodes were some things we didn't know before, and they are very hard to square with to, to exculpate as as Trump would have it. So we now have much more proof that um, Barr, excuse me, that Trump was really pushing on White House Counsel Don McGahn uh, to uh, have him oust. Uh, Mueller himself, and then really pushed on him to lie about it. It is hard to rationalize that kind of conduct as being anything other than obstructive. Um, but And Barr's notion here was, well, maybe it's not obstructive because Trump was so overwrought, he was so angry that he he just felt that this was unfair. But of course, there's nothing inconsistent about that kind of anger and pique, which are characteristically Trumpian and an effort to obstruct justice. So the, the defending of the president in light of these findings is unfortunate because what you want from the attorney general at this moment in time is you want someone who is standing up for the department and its independence. And so I think that that kind of remark, which was gratuitous, undermines the attorney general's authority and ability to lead the department in an independent way. So it's unfortunate uh, that he chose to make those comments. Yeah, I think we all, everyone agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I think what's, iron, what's ironic about this is that the, the thing that Jim Comey was criticized for was when he held, when he held his press conference in the summer of 2016 was saying, I don't think there's enough here to bring a prosecutable case, but Hillary Clinton did some really terrible things. Reckless, whatever the words were that he used. Here, Bill Barr has said, we don't have enough evidence to bring a criminal case, but let me tell you why this guy's basically okay, which is sort of the opposite, but equally bad, right? The, 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 the goal of the Justice Department is to say, look, we don't think there's enough to bring a criminal case, and maybe here's why we don't think there's enough to bring a criminal case. But to sort of stray over the line, to basically start talking about how the president was overwrought and upset. I mean, we're not talking about the difference between premeditated murder and sort of, a, you know, sort of a, a killing someone in a crime of passion, both of which would be wrong, right? All he's saying is that the president didn't think about it for a really long time before he decided to kill this investigation. And that's not 
really well the, the other thing is that after he said that oh how overwrought the president was how angry how frustrated all of that he went on to say and notwithstanding that he cooperated to the fullest extent he provided millions of documents he provided all the witnesses they wanted you know he did everything they wanted him to do and therefore we take that into account when determining what his intent was and that's just not true i mean we know that the president didn't sit for an interview on collusion. We know that his written responses were lawyered up to the hilt. We know that when he switched legal teams, they very much changed their stance on cooperation. And whatever cooperation had been forthcoming when Ty Cobb was there, it uh, slowed to a trickle. So, you know, even the point that Barr was trying to make there that, you know, intent is, is driven in their minds in part by the cooperation given by the White House is based on a, a false premise. And we also know that he did engage in this, you know, 22 month tirade against the probe itself. And that would have been something one hoped that that Barr would be there to sort of stand up against and defend the the truths, but he but he didn't do it. One of the questions that we were waiting to have answered uh, is why the special counsel team did not subpoena the president. And they do answer that. And it's what I think we would have expected. They say uh, that he did not agree to provide written answers to questions on obstruction topics or questions on events during the transition. It says that he declined to be interviewed. And then they say, ultimately, while we believed that we had the authority and the legal justification to issue a grand jury subpoena to obtain the president's testimony, we chose not to do so. We made that decision in view of the substantial delay that such an investigative step would likely produce at a late stage in our investigation. And then in addition, we also assessed that based on the significant body of evidence we had already obtained of the president's actions and his public and private statements describing or explaining those actions, we had sufficient evidence to understand relevant events. So I think they're saying it wasn't really worth the trouble to do that, which is what we all expected uh, they might say. Yeah, but what an ironic statement. We have sufficient evidence to <laughs> understand relevant events. What do, What can that mean except we know the intent and then when it right. comes to the punchline, it's, oh, but we can't bottom line on the intent. Right. So, Harry, just let me just go back quickly to your point that you're a bit disappointed. I think that there are a lot of facts in here. And as I'm just you know skimming through, there is a lot of detail and a lot of information. I wouldn't be quite so hard on the special counsel and his team as you were, although you're, you're criticizing really his bottom line failure to draw a conclusion, which I think is fairly you know left to the role of Congress. But the report is full of lots of detail about you know everything within their investigation. I think this is going to be, you know, uh, uh, it's a, it's an amazing effort and it looks like a very thorough and impressive report to me. Right. There is also, Harry, some irony in the, in the Attorney General of the United States saying the president was as entirely cooperative and the lawyer who worked for the Attorney General saying, yeah, maybe he was cooperative to a certain extent, but the real reason we couldn't interview him is he was going to fight it so hard and so long that we would never have And had let me time. just add, there's a redacted line here when it says, we also sought a voluntary interview with the president. After more than a year of discussion, the president declined to be interviewed. And then there's a sentence redacted for grand jury, which I don't know. Wow. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe the, yeah, they didn't obviously didn't subpoena him, but, but who knows what that means. I would like to know. <laughs> but, but they also use the other thing. The reason that they, all the, the reason that his legal team kept saying that the president wasn't going to be interviewed was he was afraid that they were basically afraid that, the, that he couldn't tell the truth in an interview and that he was going to somehow get tricked by Bob Mueller 
got an interview. I mean, that, this is, we're talking about the leader of the free world not being able to sit down with another government official to answer questions about what he was thinking at the time that he made certain decisions. No kidding. That, that's a, and now we will probably never get it. All right. I, you know, I think we'll have um, on Talking Feds much more about this maybe in, in the coming days. But uh, I think that's all that we have time for now. Let's try to wrap it up with, uh, well, I'll, I'll frame this question for, for everyone. Will, will Barr's effort, if we see this way, kind of work? Is there enough here uh, between the uh, Mueller's uh, failure to, to bottom line and, the, and Barr's decisive uh, uh, conclusion of no obstruction to, to kind of let the air out of the tires somewhat in Congress and may, make uh, some sort of middle ground uh, senators and congressmen kind of see this as closed? Or on the contrary, do we have fuel on the, do we have a conflagration here and it's going to be, you know, hot and heavy in Congress for, for months to come? I think there'll be no appetite on the Republican side for anything. And I think that will, that will, will probably quelch entirely the Democrats' effort to start an impeachment proceeding, if that's what you want. Well, uh, yeah, and, and how vigorous will they be in investigations? Obviously, they'll be calling them, but is this something, is right now, has the sort of overall leverage, even, you know, 55, 45, gone to Trump successfully, if that was Barr's intent? I, I think so. I think... If if the the tide was going to shift, it needed to be a real blockbuster revelation. I mean, if the report had tons of new evidence that we had never heard before and that was really, really bad for the president, then I would think that the momentum swings, you know, to the, the anti-Trump side. But as it is with just a bit more explanation of, of mostly what we already knew, I think that Barr will have been successful in kind of tamping down the, the outrage about this. And, you know, the Dems will continue to push in the House. But ultimately, I think, uh, I, I think that, that he's escaped the worst of it. There are a lot of facts in here that are upsetting. And so I don't think that this is uh, a victory for the president by any stretch of the imagination. And But on the other hand, the investigation has been very thorough and it may be better for Congress to uh, to accept the findings, to take whatever uh, implications they have and uh, hold hearings on that. You know, how do we prevent interference with our election system? Um, and what they do with obstruction really is a political matter. And that's always been the case. And then they need to uh, take the politics into account. And I'm not an expert on the politics, so I'll leave that alone. But I think this report is not, uh, is not an exoneration of the president or the people around him in the way that's been portrayed. I'll just say, I, you know, I 100 Hundred percent agree, but the way things have been set up with such heavy anticipation of the report that for it to come out now, it will be a challenge for Congress, one that they absolutely should rise to, but we'll see if they will, to give the independent political analysis and the ultimate determination of impeachability that uh, really is incumbent on them for this kind of serious conduct. But there's going to be a general refrain from the Republicans, you know, closed case. And so it'll, it'll make the whole thing slightly tilted uphill battle. 
Thank you very much to Paul, Amy, and Jennifer for convening on such short notice and such an important day. And thank you very much to all of you for listening to Talking Feds. If you like what you've heard, please tell a friend to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking Feds Pod to find out about future episodes and other Feds-related content. And you can also check us out on the web at TalkingFeds.com. Thanks for tuning in. And don't worry, as long as you need answers, the Feds will keep talking. Talking Feds is produced by Jenny Josephson, Rebecca Lopatin, Dave Moldovan, and Anthony Lemos. David Lieberman is our contributing writer. Production assistance by Sarah Philippoum. And thanks to the incredible Philip Glass, who graciously lets us use his music. Talking Feds is a production of Delito LLC. I'm Harry Littman. See you soon. <laughs>